So what we're having for tea tonight? Um, oh, I know what he likes. He wants some smiley faces and fish fingers. That'd be a nice little treat for him. Yeah, he'll like that. Yeah, yeah. seen when they landed they've never seen a human before and they saw me <laughs> and they saw you and you're now their god <laughs> <laughs> so basically they're now worshipping you as a puffing god a puffing god yeah so these are like my puffings now <laughs> my children well, yeah you got yourself a crew <laughs> yeah baby so what I do is I just sort of like give them a bit of a wave and a thumbs up or something hiya yeah I'm Benny let's back into them suck it and shut the door yes oh that were a situation Jesus, wasn't it mate I hope they don't just stand there all the time though that's going to be alright well, has it no well they'll stand there for a little bit but then they've got to go out to see you see to sort of oh, feed yeah, the chicks fishing. and they're going to be laying eggs and, and gonna, all that sort yeah, of stuff yeah they're going to get busy out there on rocks and yeah. that sort of but obviously now they've come here on a Monday yeah. uh, every Monday they're going to be like, it's, it's, it's a bit of like a puffin church service they'll do and it's <laughs> yeah. just going to worship you you're going to get some little black and white robes or something you know what I mean? don't you be getting ideas above your station <laughs> yeah. 
ain't gonna lead well, is it? No, no. <laughs> well, what we need now, you see, we need a little bit of casting, I think. Ooh, have you been casting? I've been casting. Good lad. Yeah. Busy boy. Yeah, and those puffins have just reminded me of a few nice little stories. So, why don't we all just settle in, get ourselves ready for things, and first of all, oh! We haven't introduced ourselves. <laughs> You're God now. Puffing God. I am the God Benny. Yeah. <laughs> so puffing that, God. That is the Puffing God Benny. Uh, and I'm Matt. And this is Kraken Cove, the podcast that shines a beacon onto the bazaar. And so we're going to have a few stories for you today. You know, some stuff to sort of marvel at and wonder at. Um, juicy. Yeah, some juicy stuff. <laughs> so let's, uh, let me, let's me and Benny settle down. Let's right. get sat here and let's begin. Right, well, I reckon what's happening out there has happened amongst humans, you know. All right. So you could argue sort of like it's a, like a bit of a cult situation. You've got yourself some followers, haven't you? you know <laughs> yeah, I mean? true. Yeah. So, I mean, as long as you don't arm all those uh, puffins with AK-47s and sort of like create an end-of-world scenario. <laughs> no, no Kool-Aid or no AKs. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> No, this is it. No, we'll have none of that. You know, we're, we're going to keep things clean upon Kraken Cove. We don't want anything up this time. But have you ever heard of a, a cargo cult? No. Cargo cults? Well, they're really interesting. And they're my favourite kind of cults. Uh, and this is just from Wikipedia. You know, I've got a little bit of information. And we're going we're gonna to go hop around a few little subjects on this, on this here, on cargo cults. So, cargo cults were just like, first of all, it sort of started in one place. But then, unexpectedly, it kind of spread. So what happened first of all, it was the first specific phenomena was the belief which began among the Melanesians in the 19th and early 20th centuries that various ritualistic acts, such as building of an airplane runway, would result in the appearance of cargo via airplanes even though they did not have a specific reason to believe that airplanes would land on their site. So basically what was happening was, as um, flight and militaristic activities throughout sort of like the island regions, in yeah, the, like yeah. the Polynesian islands, all these remote areas, what were happening was that the, the locals, the natives, were seeing this activity mm. and deciding that this was God activity. Wow. And... Things were starting washing up on their islands and things, which they didn't know about, which were amazing, like cargo boxes, yeah, yeah. things like this. And they thought, well, what I need to do is we go through the our magic rituals, this stuff will come to us. It's quite smart building a runway. You've got more chance of cargo coming. Well, I'd have thought, so if you want to play to land in your area, <laughs> yeah. build it and they will come. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the term was first used in print in 1945, by Norris Mervyn Bird, repeating a derogatory term uh, used by planters and businessmen in the Australian territory of Papua, as in like Papua New Guinea, oh, yeah. you know? The term was later adopted by anthropologists and applied retroactively to movements in a much earlier era. So, in 1964, Peter Lawrence described the term as follows. Cargo ritual was any religious activity designed to produce goods in this way and assumed to have been taught to the leader of the cargo cult by the deity. So what's actually happening is like the um, the leaders of these islands were seeing certain activities going on and because the, their own sort of like tribes and things were coming to them and what is happening, great master? Yeah. They would jump to their own conclusion 
pretend they had the knowledge themselves. Just proper blagging it. Like. And blagging it. <laughs> yeah. like Trump, to be honest. But, <laughs> but yeah, so that's what's actually occurring with these cargo cults. But they're actually very, very complicated, you know? And, and, and the, the because of anthropologists, where they could study it, the things they discovered are absolutely amazing. The way that people yeah. think and work and process this new information. Yeah, yeah. You so, know? So, so they've never seen it before. And now yeah. they get their heads around it. That's it. So Western anthropologists describe the concept of a cargo cult as a belief system in a relatively undeveloped society in which adherents practice superstitious rituals hoping to bring modern goods supplied by a more technologically advanced society. So... Also, it helps describe away these technological leaps that make them kind of look um, almost like cavemen like, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is terrible because their way of life looks ace. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know, obviously, but they're jelly. They're thinking we want some of this good stuff. They know there's some good stuff to be had, so they're just trying to like. Well, because their society is. As far as they're concerned, like the peak, quite often a lot of people uh, of these societies consider themselves like the perfect people, and yeah. they are blessed yeah. for having such bounty and living so comfortably. Because if you were to sort of like, if you were like a, I don't know, like an island uh, leader yeah. of, of a tribe, you wouldn't want to be turned around and say, "Look, we're a pretty good tribe here." But if you look over the water there, um, Steve, the tribesman on the yeah. other island, he's got a much better way of life. <laughs> yeah, you get depressed, <laughs> yeah, 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 you know what I mean. So, yeah, yeah. so they say, so what they have to do is they have to say quite often. A lot of isolated communities over a lot of years describe themselves as like the chosen ones right, and they have yeah. to sort of say they are like double blessed by the gods yeah, yeah. but the only way of actually describing when for example you're sitting on a grass yeah. and also like a three-seater sofa rocks up yeah. <laughs> floating on the sea you turn around and think oh well this is because this is what the gods sit on this is ah, god's stuff this is yeah, god yeah. gear you know that's the only way you can kind of get rid of it yeah and that's, that's why it, we're yeah. getting a little bit little taste yeah so car- cargo cults often develop during a combination of crises under conditions of social stress such a movement may form under the leadership of a charismatic figure this leader may have a vision or a myth dream of the future often linked to an ancestral efficacy which is thought called mana, thought to be recoverable by a return to a traditional morality. So actually, there's also saying here there's another side of these things, which is, you know, that the reason this stuff's appearing, all these people are appearing, is because they might be saying, we're all sinning. Uh, so yeah. the gods are angry, so they're actually chucking three seats so cut sofas and so on, so on, each other, things like this. And I found that absolutely fascinating, the idea that these things... Because things, all the things are actually getting were actually of like a, a great help to a great boom. Sort of steel and axes and knives and mm. all sorts of stuff were washing up. And of course, you get a bit of a mixed bag, which is occurring yeah, as well. Yeah. Um, some are saying, "Oh, it's because we've been bad," but then I think there's other people turning around saying, "No, no, it's good because we've been good. We've been yeah, good. You know, that's why that Garfield cat fucking telephone washed up the day. <laughs> you know, look at it. Yeah, we must be doing yeah, really must be good. Just look, <laughs> the cat is here. You know." <laughs> Right, so because like anthropologists and stuff like this, um, it, was, it was first named Cargo Cult in 1945, mm. um, what they did was they went back and actually studied behaviours in earlier cultures, yeah. and then they could say, actually, this was Cargo Cult in action. Right. So they could actually sort of pinpoint the earliest recorded Cargo Cults, and this was the Tika movement that began in Fiji in 1885, at the height of the UK's colonial plantation era. The movement began with a promised return to a golden age of ancestral potency, 
Minor alterations to priestly practices were undertaken to update them and attempt to recover some of the kind of ancestral efficacy. So colonial authorities saw Tuka as a rebel and he was exiled, although he kept returning. So I think Tuka was their leader, it was like their kind of like, kind of like king, their boss yeah, man yeah. sort of thing, you know. But um, And also during this time, as they're saying there, they're changing their own rules and laws to yeah. kind of think, oh, well, no, actually, I know this is a little bit, you know, you know, it looks a bit weird, but actually, it was in you know yeah. in, in the scriptures. Yeah, you know, like, it's yeah. old school, is it? You don't know about all this. Shit, yeah, you know, that's it. You know, magic. so yeah, so cargo cults occurred periodically in many parts of the islands of New Guinea, including the Taro cult in North Papua New Guinea and the Vailala madness that arose from 1919 to 1922. I haven't looked into that. Well, that, that sounds quite good, doesn't it? Yeah, but. Um, but the most widely known period of cargo cult activity occurred during the Melanesian Islanders in the years during and after World War II. A small population of indigenous people observed, often directly in front of their dwellings, the largest war ever fought by technologically advanced nations. The Japanese arrived first with a great deal of supplies. Later, the Allied forces followed. The vast amounts of military equipment and supplies that both sides airdropped or airlifted to airstrips to troops on these islands meant drastic changes to the lifestyle of the islanders, many of whom had never seen outsiders before. Manufactured clothing, medicines, canned foods, tents, weapons and other goods arrived in vast quantities for the soldiers who often shared some of it with the islanders who were their guides and hosts. This was true of the Japanese army as well, at least initially, before relations deteriorated in most regions. So now, imagine the equivalent of that, right? I can't, because it's like something happening in space, you know, in, in the atmosphere or something like that. It's a massive yeah, yeah. thing you've never seen before, gigantic battle cruisers floating about, shooting shit, and you're getting some like, super like freeze-dried ice cream that you've never had before and that. It's going to blow your mind. It, it? it is going to blow your mind completely. Oh so it, Because these amazing bonuses arrive, these great yeah, booms, yeah. just as if, for example, if aliens came down now and started giving us like amazing sort of like... Um, uh, anti-gravitation -gravi watches and things like this, things <laughs> yeah. that you could have. Our religions that we know now would deteriorate even further than they have done already. Yeah, yeah. And we would then turn to these new gods. Yeah. And that's what's happened. So wow. these immense structures of um, of new religions and new gods arrived during the 1940s. And of course, as the generations have passed on, they've grown. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> How come they fell out with Japanese and what was going on there? Well, because I think the Japanese had a little bit of a cruel streak to them. <laughs> <laughs> Just a tad jolly war. And wow. things were getting a little bit tight um, for the Japanese as well. They're in much more of a sort of desperate situation yeah. than when we were when we arrived, as yeah. in the West, yeah. talking of, talking as such. So when the West arrived later on, they were like, you know, hey, you know what the GIs were like, it's yeah. like, hey, have some chocolate, give this, give that. Yeah. Whereas the Japanese resources were so fat, tightly stretched at that time yeah. that I think they became probably quite cruel yeah. with the islanders. You know, like, gives a bit of sushi you did last week, like, no, I'm not doing it now. Yeah, I'm not, not it, you oh, know. Come on, man. No, they're, they're, that's it. They're not passing his spring rolls around. Just that, <laughs> that's a bit racist, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I won't cut that. <laughs> so, one of the main characters in the island cult was John Frum. 
Right. And John Frum, also called John Brum, John Frum, and obviously John Frum, is a figure associated with cargo cults in the island of Tana in Vanuatu. He is often depicted as an American World War II serviceman who will bring wealth and prosperity to the people if they follow him. So quoting David Attenborough's report of an encounter, they say, He look like you. He got white face. He tall man. He live long South America. So this is what their translation was of where they believe this god, this John Frum came, at, came yeah. from, right? The religion centering on John Frum arose in the late 1930s when Vanuatu was known as the New Hebrides, although there was a claim in 1949 that it started in the 1910s. Yeah. So even then, so this John Frum character was kicking about. <laughs> so the movement was influenced by existing religious practices in the Sulphur Bay region of Tanna. I mean, Sulphur Bay sounds great, it doesn't is. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lost Millie. Yeah. <laughs> so the, particularly the worship of Karaparamon, a god associated with Mount Tukasmera. These are all, these are all a bit <laughs> mad. It's all a bit mad, right? So John Frum began appearing among the native people of Tanna, dressed in a Western-style coat, assuring the people he would bring them houses, clothes, food, and transport. So basically, again, he, they've seen a Western guy, so this white guy, big tall white guy, turning up in Western attire, promising them goods and services, yeah. and they've just completely lost it. Yeah. But it also shows that humans are innately um, uh, materialistic <laughs> yeah yeah by nature you know, totally, so yeah. all the gods and everything that could happen you know everything is just gone, gone to pieces when a man yeah. turns up and promises stuff yeah, right yeah. especially he's kind of proved it because he's come in such a like a new fashion aren't he like with new clothes and like crazy gadgets and, and this is all airplanes just stuff. and stuff. And like, even later wow. on, you know, it was even things like Walkmans, earphones, <laughs> listen to stuff like this. It's all the stuff because you, you might turn up like doing a documentary like David Attenborough does and you think yourself, you're just sort of saying, oh, I'm going to show them a little bit of something on a video screen. I'll put some earphones on them and they can hear something. The only explanation they have for this of way of working it out when, when these guys have gone away, they turn to their leads and say, with that, and I said, Oh, that was a god, yeah, because we're really good and they come to us because we're good, good guys, yeah. Now, my favorite is the, the people of the Yao Nanan, right? That's the region there, it's the Yao Nanan tribe, and the person they worship as a god uh-huh. is Prince Philip. I've heard this one, it's just <laughs> mental, yeah. It's like worshipping the devil, is that one though? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ, he's a lizardy yeah. bastard. So According to ancient Yaonanan tales, the son of a mountain spirit travelled over the seas to a distant land. There he married a powerful woman, and in time would return to them. And he was sometimes said to be a brother of John Frum. Wow. Yes. So the people of Yaonanan believe that Prince Philip, Duke of Edinburgh, the consort of Queen Elizabeth II, is a divine being. So they think he is genuinely a god. So they had seen the respect accorded to Queen Elizabeth II by the colonial officials and concluded that her husband, Prince Philip, must be the son referred to in their legends. So again, because people have these pictures of the Queen and they're going and saying, oh, bloody hell's that? It's like, oh, well, she's the most important woman going. Yeah. And they think, oh, well, she's obviously this female deity. Yeah. Oh, she, uh, she got a husband? Oh, yes, it's Phil. It's, yeah. it's Phil the Greek. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the lizard king. Yeah, it's the lizard king, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
So it's unclear just when the belief came about, but it was probably sometime in the 1950s or 60s, right about dead centre for cargo cults. Yeah. It was strengthened by the royal couple's official visit to the Vanuatu in 1974, when a few villagers had the opportunity to actually see Prince Philip from a distance. The prince was not aware of the sect, but it was brought to his attention several years later by John Champion, the British resident commissioner in the New Hebrides. So Champion suggested that Prince Philip send them a portrait of himself. <laughs> and he agreed and sent a signed official photograph. The villagers responded by sending him a traditional pig-killing club <laughs> called a nal-nal. Oh, yeah, I want one as well, yeah. So in compliance with their request, the prince sent another photo of himself Posing with the club. Wow. Oh, so yeah. Like him and the lovers. So basically, he's egging him on, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, he is <laughs> he's really. Thinking yeah. of it, God, look at me with your pig killing club. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, I think it's absolutely something else. So Anne, Princess Royal, visited Tanner in October 2014, and she is the only daughter of Queen Elizabeth II and Prince Philip. She had visited Vanuatu in 1974, but had not previously travelled to the island. So again, this was a big deal to them, you know. So on 27th of September 2007, Channel 4 broadcast Meet the Natives, a reality show about five Tanner men from the Prince Philip movement on a visit to Britain. <laughs> Their trip culminated in an off-screen audience with Prince Philip where gifts were exchanged, including a new photograph of the prince. <laughs> Imagine how happy they're going to be, though. Like meeting God and that. <laughs> you felt yeah. Sure? yeah. But it's really... Yeah, but all I can think of is, come on, mate, like I say, you're egging him on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a fairly new religion. At what point do you stop and say, I'm not God? Yeah, he's never said that one. He's took all the gravy, hasn't he? And the thing is, what happens when he dies? Yeah, they just totally lose it. They might lose it. They might invade England for all we know. They might think we've killed him. And they might, I mean, obviously, these guys are well armed. They're only little and everything. But, you know, they've got spears and daggers. You heard about that thing with the island the other time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the island yeah. you can't go to. Yeah, he just, just, just killed him. He did deserve that, though. Can you imagine us here, though, where all our warships, next thing you say, what's coming up the Thames? It's all these little guys in dugouts. Yeah. And they're totally knackers. They're <laughs> all fat now, and then uh, I'll send you the puffins. <laughs> oh, that's what's needed. Yeah. Fly! <laughs> that's it. Do, 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 do. <laughs> see if you've got like godlike status in the world mm. he must start sending you a bit billy bonkers mustn't yeah, he? yeah you, know, you, you don't just, need it do you? yeah yeah you know so you this is one thing i think you've got to be very careful of with that puffing worship in you, you know, <laughs> <always puffing. laughs> not to me yeah. it don't let you go to your head too much you know because if you do even the people around like the godlike figure mm. i think they start to lose this shit as well yeah. you know 
So here's a story by Piper Blackman for the Business Standard News. Piper Blackman? No, Blackman. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> just a Piper bit that got me, not the second It wasn't instruction. <laughs> just some Piper. <laughs> Go on. Well, you know, Americans got some funny names. Yeah, you know what I mean? So, and she, she writes here, uh, the world seems to have breathed a sigh of relief as America and Iran have pulled back, well, they haven't really, have they, mm-hmm. you know, from the brink of war. On Wednesday morning, President Trump gave another rambling, slurred speech where he talked about making peace with a country who he recently threatened to attack. <laughs> However, fundamentalist Christians, who are among Trump's staunchest supporters, seem to be encouraging Trump's warmongering. Many of them, such as Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, believe these are the end of days and Trump will lead us into an apocalyptic war with Islam. Oh, wow. (laughs) He's wanting this. So according to the British website Church and State, they say, both Mike Pompeo and Mike Pence, who have pushed Trump towards aggressive action towards Iran, believe that there is a battle between good and evil that will end with the rapture. A key belief of evangelical Christian extremists in the establishment of a greater Israel before the end of days. Oh, steady on, boys. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> You're involving the whole world in your weird little made-up religion. Yeah, this Jesus. is it. Well, so, well this is the problem. Is during, the, uh, during the 1980s, you see, before, there was a, there was a great law in America, which is a, sort of like a rule, should I say, yeah. which is a separation of church and state. So yeah. they always turn around and say, look, you know, one cannot meddle with the other. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's fine yeah. to be religious, um, but, you know, that's one thing. And obviously politics are completely separate. But it was actually uh, Ronald Reagan. Mm. He started to blur the two sort of sides because they started to realise, hang about, we can really tap into like the Christian fundamentalist side mm. of things and get that vote. Oh, and as such, this is why now you get all, even even leaders who were never religious, and of course Trump's not a religious man, so, right, exactly. and he's turning on, I have seen things in a dream, and well, all this sort of bullshit, you know, it's absolute fucking lies. But they lap it all, don't oh, they? Oh, absolutely, they do, yeah. So, according to the spiritual advisor to Trump, Paula White, Trump will have a role in the final battle. <laughs> what, hiding in these fucking bullshit? Yeah. God came to me last night, and showed me a vision of Trump riding alongside Jesus on a horse made of gold and jewels. <laughs> Said White in Charisma, a fundy publication. This means he will play a critical role in Armageddon as the United States stand alongside Israel in the battle against Islam. Oh, Jesus. But even more scary... These kinds of delusional fantasies are widespread on the far right. So former televangelist Jim Backer is also a staunch Trump fan and believes he will save Israel. Trump keeps signing things to protect the church and he's helped Israel and recognised Israel. He's fulfilling the Bible, whether you like it or not, pray Jesus. Said Backer on his YouTube show. (laughs) Backer also claimed that only saved people can love Trump, right? And meanwhile, Rob O'Neill, a former Navy SEAL who fired the shot that killed Osama bin Laden, suggests that we drop a nuclear bomb on Iran. What the fuck? So this is the mindset of these people. Now, one thing I just want to imagine, create this picture, right, of what she said here, of Trump riding alongside Jesus 
on a horse made of gold and jewels. Oh, you couldn't... It's just can you imagine the sight of it? Oh. I can imagine Trump making a robot horse. Oh, they would better get on it. Wouldn't it be like lifting tails? Oh, they'd lower him on. Yeah. <laughs> How do you get on again? That's his asshole, Trump. He's supposed to get that one all the way up there. Don't climb in. You climb off. Yeah. And leave Iran alone. It's like ruled by proper knobheads. I feel really bad for Iran because it's like the Persians, aren't they? You know what I mean? The coolest fuck of the Persians. And it's like ruled by a lot of dickheads. Bless it. Yeah. Well, we're all ruled by dickheads. That's the problem. You know what I mean? That's the issue. But uh, I did remember uh, reading, uh, sorry, hearing about this like uh, a travel documentary and somebody was saying, well, actually, the most friendly giving people on the planet are the Iranians. Wow, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you 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 could walk through Iran yeah. Uh, with nothing apart from the clothes on your back, and even not even that, you could walk in there as kind of naked. Yeah, people yeah. would clothe you, feed you, give you, you know, shelter and stuff. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. I've right heard loads of good stuff. Yeah. I just, when you see the pictures in the sixties and seventies, and they're all like proper like seventy dipped up yeah. and stuff, and they're all got massive collars and all smiling and shit, big tashes. Yeah. It's all cool. All, all yeah, rest that's all we need to do. We need, but again, this is a problem with church and state. So the, I mean, like our a lot of our leaders now are sort of like moving towards being a little bit more religious and talking about religion a lot more, you know. Whereas their leaders are full on religion. Yeah. It should all be about just politics and keep. You know, it's fine to be religious if you want to be. It's not my bag. Let's just keep it on back burner. Exactly. Get on with the important jobs like yeah. ruling the country. Well, it's all that shit out. Well, yeah. We're going fucking deep for cracking out. And we? we are. No, that's it. <laughs> Go on, crack I, th- on I think. Like... I think. Well, I think what I'm needing is here. I, I think we should build our own little horse. Little shiny pony that we can <laughs> trot into battle. <laughs> <laughs> fancy the We're all puffins coming behind us <laughs> yeah. like <laughs> <laughs> Get Trump right jelly in that. Oh shit out on that pony. <laughs> <laughs> with cults and religions and things like this you know sometimes you don't want to get into that kind of thing sometimes it happens by accident it finds you it finds you so we've got a thing here by Chris Flanders right Um, it reported to in the Guardian and his experience was my yoga class turned out to be a cult (laughs) 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 and this is in his own words so uh, it says I was 22 when I moved to a different US city and needed a new yoga studio. I I discovered a place that believed in Eastern mysticism, perfect for an open-minded spiritualist, which was how I saw myself at the time. Come on, mate. (laughs) (laughs) I walked in and a young woman was very excited to see me. Classic trope. Yep, yep. She paid attention to my every word, making me feel cared about. I then met with a master who informed me I was in very poor energetic health and needed to sign up right away. (laughs) (laughs) The classes were quirky. We do 40 minutes of exercise and meditation to a mix of new age flute music and Michael Jackson. (laughs) Sounds like hell. (laughs) (laughs) Billy Jean maybe, but fuck It was far less pretentious than the yoga studios I'd visited before. I decided to join for the haggled price of £79 a month. It's mm. yeah, a lot of money, isn't it? Is. You know? So during my second class, the teacher gave me a healing massage. Mm. Uh, is this a dude or a lady? 
he's a, he's a bloke, Chris yeah. Landers, yeah. yeah well, here yeah. we go. <laughs> yeah. Rubbing my chest with both hands, hmm. I started to cry. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, a friend of his, a friend had killed herself a few weeks before, and I was probably more emotionally raw than I realised. Uh, right. It's a bit vulnerable. Oh, he's massaging. Oh, mate, run, please. Yeah. <laughs> Your pants are going to oh, be down no. soon. As I got better at yoga, the master told me I had potential. <laughs> Within a month, my master had personally requested that I attend a weekend retreat the organisation was hosting in the Arizona desert. What about 400 people spent time doing yoga? In desert? Yeah. So I'd have to pay my airfare plus fees to the organisation. Mm. Oh. But the retreat was fancy. Lots of rich Californians and huge hats. Huge hats. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's fancy. <laughs> With your eyes, little. He's in a huge house. Oh. <laughs> it, yeah. Yeah. It's got a pool, gardens, and many outhouses. So to me, from the from the north, yeah. many outhouses means loads of shitters. He <laughs> 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 bloody has got loads of outside bogs. <laughs> you can to your own, that'd be nice. That's nice, that's luxury. <laughs> that. It's bloody at the own outside shitter. <laughs> <laughs> and they were well fed. Uh, I made close friends from around the world, forging deep bonds with other members. Some sexually charged. Why? Here we go. Here we go. Get into the meat and drink of this. <laughs> <laughs> and he says he had a good time. After that, I attended two more retreats. At one, the leader addressed the crowd in the manner of a minister giving a sermon. There was even a special chair that only he could sit on. <laughs> <laughs> that's like my house is that as well. Yeah. <laughs> hey, go on, up you get. That's dad's chair. <laughs> <laughs> Before he was introduced on the opening night, the crowd was whipped into a frenzy as loud dance music played. It was a rock star entrance. Woodmaster hadn't spoken to his parents for years. It was very tough, he said, but saving the world was more important. Not talking to your parents for you. Most people are like that. <laughs> <laughs> so during that third event, senior devotees tried to convince me to become a healer their term for someone who teaches classes they said do you want to save the world make that happen by becoming a teacher how much is that classic exactly <laughs> so by then I'd sacrificed time and money for the group and made friends I had reservations but was too embarrassed to turn back oh. I paid several thousand dollars to oh. train maxing out my credit cards oh, oh. I don't blame him. I'm not blaming yeah, him. No, yeah. it's a sticky web. You can't yeah. get out of it once you're all like beard up and you've had a little bit of fun somewhere. It's oh. your own shitter and that massive hat. <laughs> <laughs> easy done. Well, it's, easy. It bloody, you're, you're, it's like go, you're on gravy train, aren't you? Big hat and your own bog. <laughs> I think I'm a king. Yeah. King of puppies. Oh, the king of the I think you're vulnerable to this. I could be. Keep away, honestly. I might encourage you to become a healer and pay me thousands of pounds. <laughs> really big hats or really little yeah, hats. I'm going to have one of my hats. <laughs> <laughs> so healers are step below masters who are similar to monks, living in small apartments with other masters and turning over most of their possessions. I mean, that sounds grim, doesn't it? it a little apartment we know, innit? Yeah. And they're only one toilet. <laughs> oh, no way. Everybody's got your stuff in there. Yeah. 
A close friend who joined around the time I did quit university and spent tens of thousands of dollars from her student loans right, to become a loyal master. So after a few months training, I realized I wasn't seeing my friends and family as much as I used to. The organization didn't like it if I went on a weekend away with friends. I thought about leaving, but I'd already paid a year subscription and for more Arizona trips. I figured I'd stay and gain from the experience. As time went on, I struggled and started reading online accounts of others who felt exploited by the group, and I wasn't falling in line either. So once a master grabbed me by the shoulders, shouted in my face and shook me because I wasn't doing what they wanted, and I was supposed to be an obedient subject. The tipping point was when I was told I should leave behind my unconscious family, as in my parents. Mm. As the spiritual family, the organisation was more important. Oh, ah, yeah, right. call him daddy and all the rest of it. Yeah. He was tough, he told me, but said that saving the world was far more important. So they're saving the world again, you know what I mean? So eventually he, he said he was going to do it, you know, and he stayed. I spent six months with the organisation. I didn't want to be convinced to stay, so when I left, I basically ghosted everyone. That's the thing to do. He what, did it. What, ghosted? Well, that, what is then is you, you basically um, you, disappear. You, you disappear, yeah. <laughs> yeah you do cool. disappear. You, you don't answer any calls. You change your number. Uh, you don't leave yeah. an address. You just yeah, kind of hoof yeah, it and yeah, go. Yeah. That's so. This is brilliant because the thing is, he survived and he got out of there. You know what yeah. I mean? But I mean, you can just look and see. It's a weird thing because it's like the subscription aspect of it to say you pay in advance like thousands of dollars. Mm. You're going to say, well, I want my money's worth. But what you're actually buying is brainwashing. Yeah, yeah. And it's that, that little you know carrot dangling that you, you're special. We can tell you're special. We can really get you to be someone super duper special, you know what I mean? Yeah. Just sign on the dotted line, give us all your cash, don't tell anybody, don't talk to your oh. parents. The brainwashing begins. Well, you know, like with yoga, yoga's a funny thing, you know. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of like uh, church halls what allow yoga to take part. Wow! Because it isn't a Christian religion at a basis. Right. I quite like a bit of yoga. I'll stand in dog and all that. Yeah, but the thing is, you've got a little bit of a Buddhist thing going on with yeah. you, aren't you? You know, but you know, and it, and with the, a lot of the a lot of these other the Christian stuff. They do see it almost like as an indoctrination. Yeah. Yoga, yoga is actually another religion, sort of like practice is the same. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I've got a good friend who's really into Rome. I've got quite a few friends who are really into yoga. You know what I mean? But my mm. mate Rachel, a big shout out to a listener, Rachel. Hey, Rachel. Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> so you be careful out there. You know, you don't want to be indoctrinated, Rachel. You be careful. You know? <laughs> don't become a cult member or anything like that. We hot yoga on a Thursday evening. <laughs> It'd be terrible, wouldn't it? Oh, hot yoga. What's that? Oh, you get me, they get me already. <laughs> Do it in the pants. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> no, he's in the heat the room up to so oh, yeah. hot. So what happens is you just sweat like mad. Man, that's me in the bath, that. I yeah. just do it on my own shit, just read a book. <laughs> so you obviously just like hot yoga without the yoga then, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, basically. <laughs> I'm part aquatic though, I'll never go back. Maybe that's why the puffins are here, the seals that fell out. see me floating around. Oh, yeah. that's it. Maybe the seals an island, with just a little perch and nest on your belly. He's <laughs> getting big enough, I'm <laughs>
Waar ik zo graag wil komen, daar waar geen leed kan bestaan. But really, you know, like, you get people going on, like, who would easily led, things can occur, mm. stuff like this. And this is just a quick story I've read. Uh. I've not seen anything come back from this either, right? So if there's anybody out there who does know um, what happened from this particular story, which I'm about to read, um, could they actually contact us at crackandcovepodcast at gmail.com to let us know? Um, we're also on Twitter at crackandcove, and we're on Instagram at crackandcovepod. So, yeah, if you find anything about this story I'm about to read, um, yeah, get in touch because I'm very interested in this one. And it's bizarre report of 50 people with suitcases in Ardingly. Where is that? Well, Ardingly, uh, it's, um, I'm just going to show you a little map of that. It's just down here, look. It's just down sort of Londonish. Oh, uh, yeah. It's like halfway between London and oh, Brighton, I suppose. Yeah, it's, it's that kind of thing. Yeah, it's that kind of way. So, the bizarre reports of 50 people with suitcases walking to a water reservoir remain a mystery. And this is a story by Samuel Brooke, right, reporting for the Argus. Police officers were called to reports of a suitcase-carrying contingent at Ardingly Reservoir near Balcombe on Thursday. But after a search, nobody carrying a suitcase was found at the popular fishing spot. <laughs> That's spooky, dude. Yeah. <laughs> An area search was carried out and the team could not locate anyone with suitcases, said Inspector Darren Taylor on Twitter yesterday. Most bizarre. Wow. That's all we have on it. What? You can't have that. Just leave it like that. So the way I see this, there's 50 people at least know what went on. Yeah, yeah. We've got 50 suitcase carriers. And then they just all disappear. And, and the suitcases, no sign of sound suitcases. Just nothing. Totally There's no suitcases left up there. Back. There's nothing necessarily being. Well, they don't know whether they're carrying something and leaving it up there. They don't know whether it was some performance piece. They don't know whether it was a cult. Oh my god. What about like caves? You want to go search some local caves there, don't you? Well, you do. Like... Unless at that reservoir it was like a popular picking up point for UFO abduction! <laughs> <laughs> they've all just packed up and waited my and been god. they've been taken away maybe just zoomed off like, so just, oh my god can you imagine <laughs> so you packed all your bits of shit and all stuff and you've got your super Ted pyjamas on you're already <laughs> rumble and, it, and that's it they've gone Jesus mate could be out in it With or no a cult idea. like it's underground cult all doing hot yeah. yoga down in caves. <laughs> <laughs> but that's all the other in the suitcase. It's just like yoga mats and stuff like jostling. Loads, loads of pants and yeah, <laughs> your yoga pants. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe, maybe, again. So if you if you if you're aware of a yoga cult that's taken on uh, up by Ardingly Reservoir anywhere, you know, you find uh, loads of suitcases. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It might be just yeah. Well, what is the other word for uh, suitcases? Cargo, isn't it? Ooh. <gasps> <laughs> oh, it could be. He's our own cargo call. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Moved away from cults and stuff now. Yeah, it's a bit, a bit sinister, aren't yeah, it? We want to go something a bit lighter, don't we? You yeah. know what I mean? You know, so we want to go something up, you know, which is 
Easy going. Yeah. Yeah, that's what we need. A little uh, smile on a Benny's face. And you know what? We haven't had many photos for this recently, have we? No, no not this episode. You've only got a few pickies. I've only got some photos for you. But maybe we don't really want one for this, right? Um, because this is Chinese man nearly dies after using an eel to cure constipation. Oh, no. Oh. Jesus, an eel. Yeah. Up your butt. So this is a story from the New Zealand Herald, right? A Chinese man was lucky to survive after he, allegedly, <laughs> inserted a live eel into his anus to cure his constipation. The fish wriggled inside the man, said to be in his 50s, and tore his intestines apart before dying and getting stuck in his abdomen. How did he die? Did his big wooden... Who get it? Well, he he the man reportedly sought help at, at the Huangjiang Hospital in Dongguan, where he was rushed into surgery. Dr. Lee from the hospital told media, and I won't do the accent, <laughs> <laughs> we suspected that there was a foreign object in his abdominal cavity <laughs> from a CT scan, but we couldn't tell where it came from. According to a post from the hospital, doctors were shocked to find a 40-centimetre-long eel that was the thickness of an adult thumb. Uh, that's oh, a horrible description, isn't it? Yeah, again, we're back to those weird top measurements, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> an adult thumb. <laughs> and it was 47 thumbs long and one thumb thick. <laughs> So 40 centimetre long eel, so that's about a foot and a half, isn't it? But it's just only a skinny lad that he's got up there, but Jesus. He's got, he's got teeth, and not it, an eel? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God, what are you doing? It'll rip you asunder, sir. Oh, and he's ripping all his tubes so and stuff. The patient survived the surgery, but waited three days before revealing to doctors he took the drastic action to deal with his bowel problems. Now, let's just pause there, right? <laughs> Basically, what's happened is it's taken him three days to come up with a, <laughs> with a story. <laughs> yeah, you know, he sat there embarrassed as shit. Like, I'm not saying no. I'll tell you later why I've yeah, done this. Says, well, why did you do this? Um, just, just give me a minute. <laughs> three days later. <laughs> right, what it was. <laughs> I'm confident in that. I haven't been for a poo that morning. <laughs> <laughs> My little friend, have a little look up there. Why did you smoke a fag and have a cup of coffee? <laughs> <laughs> Not shift old, anything. In the old-fashioned way. <laughs> so Chinese television showed graphic footage of the eel being removed. Oh, what? The eel entered the through the anus and rectum, said Dr. Lee. I think it had quickly torn a hole already mm. while in the colon. Oh, oh. So basically what we're saying after this is don't do it. Oh, oh would you dare? Would you dare? Yes, but at what point do you... I, obviously, now, we're all thinking, we know he has not put the eel up his bum for his uh, poos, has it? Yeah, but how would you persuade an eel to go up your bum? You know what I mean? That ain't, a, that ain't an easy task, is it? Well... 
They like One thing to say is they like little holes and they like the smell of horrible things. Oh, no, so it's scurried up on its own. It's like no, I think he's sort of giving it a sniff. Oh. <laughs> and he's thinking, oh, this might be a sexy... Come on, he's done it for a sexy moment, haven't he? Oh, yeah. But, you know, and he's thought, like, this is a sexy lamp. moment. And I think he was kind of just going to prod a couple of inch of eel up there, you know. Oh. Next thing you know, oh. <laughs> it was up. Oh, oh God. God, can you imagine you don't get... And the thing is, it'd be gone. And then you'd be thinking... Oh, it's gone. <laughs> oh, how do I tent it back out? Maybe we have a little bit of bacon at your bum while I'm tenting it out. He's snapping at your colon. What do eels oh. like? Googling like yeah. fuck. Yeah. What do eels like better than anuses? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Do eels prefer butter <laughs> anuses? Nothing. <laughs> and he's like, right, well, I'm fucked up. It's in the hospital. <laughs> As he chews his way out through his colon. You've got to be like really inventive or real cheapskate. There's that much stuff on market now. There's everything for to do with your butthole. And oh, you've got no. to get a fucking eel involved in it. You just don't want to be doing that. Yeah, yeah. That's just some keep, real perverse. Keep seafood away from your anus. <laughs> That's like a band as well, isn't it? Like you my book that I keep, but I came across these. Like it looks like I've done like poetry when I was drunk. You know, I mean, yeah. I'm like I think you know. Already, I thought I think that's the best line I've ever ever heard. It was just one line. It said, "A dangerously unwanted sofa." I'm like, <laughs> what's that? Where have I come up with that? Then I realised I do that. Have you heard of that? My three words. That thing about you can save you in a planet. Like oh, this yeah, square yeah, foot. Yeah, yeah, they call yeah. three random words, and they know exactly where you are to it. Yeah. But I'm doing my spooky hunt, and I'm looking. So I'm thinking they're unincorporated in the Wolfman one. You know, like, yeah. here at the square, dangerously unwanted sofa, and all yeah. that stuff. I just wrote it down because there is one up that church. But I just thought, wow, what old line? Dangerously unwanted sofa. <laughs> Absolutely loved it. Another. <laughs> We're keeping that. Oh no! <laughs> so some people you see get the jollies, don't they, by uh, ramming eels up their asses, <laughs> you know? And but these these alternatives, these things you can use to sort of get your stimulation from elsewhere. Mm. You know, and it doesn't have to be sort of like um, from the physical. It could be from like the cosmos or rays or powers, mm-hmm. right? So we're gonna have a quick dive into the ferroliminal lycanthropizer. What? Is that a machine? What is <laughs> it's it? It's a machine. Do you want a quick look at one? Yes, please. It's gonna be disappointing. <clears throat> there it is. That is really disappointing. It's like <laughs> an old shit TV, doesn't it? <laughs> 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 so 
this is from just from Wikipedia, this one, you know. The ferroliminal lycanthropizer is a pyrotechnographic machine invented by American writer David Woodard, whose 1990 pamphlet of the same title speculates on its history and purpose. The brief anonymously published work describes a vibration referred to as a thanatoauric waves, right? which the machine electrically generates by combining three infrasonic sine waves, 3 hertz, 9 hertz, and 0.56 hertz, with tape loops of unspecified spoken text. Oh, sounds cool as shit. Two beyond the threshold of decipherability, and two beneath the threshold. Oh, wow. Can you imagine this madness I coming in? I love it that yeah. someone's like gone that deep. No Edmonds I can go up to do in this story, <laughs> It could well be, you know what I mean? He's in love with this machine thing, isn't he? Anyway, we'll do oh, that. I'm, not, I'm we'll looking at that on my own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's, that's going to be your homework that, for yeah, next week. Do one for one. We had your peacock one last week. That yeah, was yeah. I'll <laughs> bring a little, little scrap to the table. This combination of drastically contrasting emotional trigger mechanisms results in an often profound behavioural enhancement which occurs strikingly soon, within moments after the user enters and remains in the auricular field of the machine. Oh, this is it. So Woodard describes the machine as a low-frequency thanatoauric wave generator that is known for its use by the Nazis oh. <laughs> and for its animalizing effects on human subjects tested within the measurable vibratory proximities. Oh, you all start at it like animals. Yeah, it? that's it, yeah. Oh. yeah. So the machine creates violence and sexual desire, its essential function being to trigger states of urgency and fearlessness and to disarm the intimate charms of the violent child within. Oh my God, so that's what all the Nazis were doing, were just listening to this shit yeah, going local. Yeah. Well, I think they wanted to actually sort of maybe trigger something in their own, in their own uh, people with certain frequencies so they could perhaps make their own soldiers like powerful man machines or sort of wow. like uh, angry angry demons in the war. On the, at war. But they'd also change the frequencies at uh, our troops and just turn one to everyone or fuck each other. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? So that's the thing. So that's, that's the thing. And this is one of the, I'm fascinated by sound weapons. Yeah, yeah. You will be aware of brown noise. Yeah, I've heard. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's basically yeah. a noise frequency that just makes you shit your pants. Well, the last few, about 10 years ago, 8 years ago, they were doing shit in like, you know, really weird countries, weren't they? And if you like someone's been suspected of spying in China or something, just, it seems like people were sonicking them, you know what I mean? They were making them really ill in the hotel rooms. And Well, funny enough, you should say that. Yeah. I'm going to do, not a special, but a whole thing on uh, on, on frequencies Ooh, and cool. hotel rooms and... Um, uh, embassies. Oh, yeah. And attacks on certain embassies as well. That's it, it's the embassies. Yeah. That's what I remember. And really briefly, oh, cool, that'd be a good so one. So what, what we'll do is I'll get my teeth into something to do with like with all these frequencies and things yeah, like yeah. this. We'll, do, we'll have a little frequency weirdness corner. It, it sounds like some big shit with this frequency, yeah, especially in recent times. So, yeah. Vibrations, I think, are going to be the future. Yeah, I, think. I, I absolutely agree. So it's like... Um, so. Um, the trithemian incantations, richly pervading the machine's oral output, produce feelings of aboveness, an unbridled openness. <laughs> His use of the word disarmor concomitantly suggests military applications and evokes 
Orgone. <laughs> oh, this is some trippy shit, dude. Well, the thing is, Orgone is actually a much older kind of uh, a device and and a... Uh, yeah, like Orgone yeah. machine or something. That's like a, well, yeah, that's Tesla or something. Well, it wasn't Tesla. It was uh, it was Wilhelm Reich in the 1930s brought the concept of, uh, of Orgone energy. And he used to have what's known as an Orgone accumulator. <laughs> so you could, <laughs> you could sit in this tin box and your Orgone powers would build and you'd become sexually charged. Jesus. Yeah, they're very, very much so. So there's like, oh, I mean, I don't know a ton about it, but they had like a, a certain molecular concepts behind it because obviously at the time they weren't really aware of like atoms and things. Yeah, and there were yeah. still beliefs in ether and things like yeah. this. So they had different ideas of waves, energies, um, powers and things like that. What do you kind of make that sort of stuff? What do you, what chat? Well, maybe, do you know? Amplifiers or something. Well, what we should do then in that case is that maybe add that the concept of looking into orgone power to yeah. next week's little show. Oh, man, Let's do a half be, show. Should yeah. we do a half show? Yeah, oh, wow. baby. Yeah. I'd be right disappointed though. You just get into one of them little rooms. It's just a vibrating chair. You're just like, oh fuck. Off. I don't think I don't think it's far <laughs> off. To be honest, kid. Let's do it. So the text is predicated on the idea that mind-altering technology has, for decades, at the behest of the American intelligence during the Cold War, been withheld from scrutiny. Dispensing sensitive information in the interest of enhancing civilian life, the narrator shares his erstwhile classified notes along with those left by earlier researchers. So the name Vermilineal Lycanthropizer is composed of two portmanteau words. The first, Feroliminal, is a combination of the uh, Latin ferris for wild animal and limon for threshold, while the second lycanthropizer combines the ancient Greek root lycanthrope or lycanthrope, <gasps> werewolf. <laughs> Jesus, you can bring out the wolf man in you. Oh man, this is <laughs> With Isa refer conferring agency. So it's a werewolf agency or a werewolf <laughs> creator. Am I in a dream? <laughs> <laughs> so, despite the pamphlet's brevity and obscurity, its story has acquired mythic overtones, and readers have since made attempts to replicate the ferminal lycanthropizer or invoke its described animalizing effect on human subjects tested within measurable vibratory proximity. The machine's neologistic name has thus appeared in conjunction with disparate music groups and artists, right? So they, this is the thing, people, this has caught the imagination of absolutely anyone. The fact that you really have a werewolf creating machine. Did, did the Nazis have something like that? Oh, want something like that? They were like a werewolf fucking, um, at the end of the Second World War, when we were, you know, like the Allies were all over Europe yeah. fighting back, they, they started a rumour about like um, a werewolf kind of army brigade or something. Have you ever heard of that? No, I have heard of that. Mm. I have heard of some sort of werewolf squadron. I'm not sure whether it was something that was going to be induced through drugs to create uh, something sort of like mega... I thought uh, mega machines or something. Well, it may be using these machines to do it as well. Yeah, through yeah. various techniques that wanted to get, kind of get... And if I, again, I haven't got the information at hand. It's something I'm going to have to look up and research for next yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. But the idea of some sort of... What the werewolf squadron was. And if they were actually being... Um, tampered with by using the ferroliminal uh, lycanthropizer <laughs> then it might be the thing because obviously Nazis have been using it this particular piece I've got here is a little bit vague yeah, yeah. but um, wow he's just tapping into all sorts <laughs> so do you yeah. have a go? Yeah. 
<laughs> I'd have a blast on that, man. I think I would. <laughs> just some Under not, control conditions. No yeah. But I wouldn't like being there with you at all. Because <laughs> no, I want someone to fight you and bum you or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or be bummed by you. <laughs> oh, I'll turn back normal like... What happened oh. last night? <laughs> oh, it'd ruin the atmosphere like yeah, outside, no, wouldn't it? It wouldn't be the same, oh. would it? I mean, I'm all for the idea that people are having it away, and I'm fine with all this, but you're my brother, though. <laughs> That's what I mean. Well, I'm well, well creepy, you Nasty. know what I mean? Nasty. But there's lots of these um, uh, artists and groups that have been using it. There's um, doom metal bands called Uncertainty Principle. Um, they've been. They've got a, a song called a "Feraliminal," uh, "Feraliminal-like Anthropizer." Wow. Um, these uh, artwork, an artwork by somebody called Pete the Coffin. That's a right <laughs> name, isn't it? That's a great name. Um, uh, Schloss Teagle. They're a Prague-based American ambient duo. I uh, oh, quite like a bit of ambient duo. Yeah, so, yeah. so they've got a 2006 album called "The Myth of Meat," <laughs> and they've got a "Feraliminal-like Anthropizer" as one of their songs. Black metal bands. We've got a gore grind porn grind band founded in Yaroslav, Russia. And the song, the song <laughs> of theirs is grind band. Me. Wow. <laughs> I tell you what, I feel well vanilla. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? When you scrape the surface, we're nutters, aren't we? What a weird creature humans are. Oh, I feel really bad about that now, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, according to the 14 Titans, they've done a little thing on this, you know. So the legends about the machine challenge belief. Besides being credited with sparking unrestrained orgies, it has been blamed for the sex and strangulation deaths of six youths. Some who claim to have used the machine have felt themselves become mentally stronger and their will more focused. The SA claims that a Catalan national using the machine daily over a period of five or six weeks eventually managed to ingratiate himself to Adolf Hitler and persuade his quarry to adopt the swastika as high totem, an emblem of the burgeoning National Socialist Conference. Such stories are clearly beyond belief. There is no evidence that the feraliminal lycanthropizer existed or could have such effects. In Technomage, a compendium of writings on technology in the occult, author Dirk Brewer relates, The recording contains two infrasonic frequencies, 3 hertz and 9 hertz, which combined generate a lower third frequency of 0.56 hertz. They do not. But then paranormal researcher Michael Esposito, his opinion is, I'm not sure the feral liminal lycanthropizer is as effective as a woman leaning against the spin cycle of the washing machine. <laughs> yeah, back to vibrating chairs, are we? Yeah. Well, that's, that's what it comes down to. And they're working at, there's this thing about vibrations and frequencies and things like this having certain effects and being yeah. able to unlock things within us. But obviously, some things to do with vibrations can be quite powerful. <laughs> but going on to a really a story I'd fucking love and I'd love to cover it another time. Uh, again, I ain't got any. I'm gonna have to throw it to me, our kid, to just sort me out of this jam because <laughs> I don't know any of the names. But it was that dude in America, and he was like from like some weird European place, and he basically it's like he built this massive like uh, artwork, but it's all stone towers and. Uh, oh yeah, you have heard of it? Yeah. 
I can't. Was it in? Was it in Central or South America? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He just went out on his own, built all these deer and things like that. I see really un- absolutely impossible kind of castle-looking things yeah. and deers yeah. and animals and all this sort of stuff. And then someone said, um, "Oh, one day he just like I'm going to move. You know, the frequency ain't right here anymore." Oh it's wow! Like, what, what do you mean move? He's like, <clears throat> I'm literally going to move. Can you get a load of trucks down here and then pack loads of trucks? And he's like, um, Can you lads just like stay over there a minute? And I'm like, Okay, boss, you know what I mean? Turn around within about five minutes, all of these massive stone statues and pillars and humongous boulders run back of these arctics and trucks and stuff. So I was like, How oh, the? It wow. was just impossible to do it. We'll go into it deeper another time and get some proper facts rather than wow. many facts. Well, this, yeah, this is, again, it's only like maybe we've got to give yourself a good vibration special. Yeah, exactly. We're getting on towards the summer holidays, we want good vibrations. Really, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's good vibrations and bad vibrations. <laughs> yeah, <man. laughs> I'm sure if he's done it, it were vibrations. The only way he could do something like that. So well, if he's Egyptians as well, I think so. That's like that. it. That's what I'm just about to say. Yeah, All that maybe. sort of stuff. You've got vibrations and things like this, you know. Yeah. And that's what we need. And it's, you know, the Beach Boys said it right, didn't they? Yeah. But it's starting to get a little late now at Kraken Cove, you know yeah. what I mean? It's, it's, uh, I can still hear them puffins outside, mm. which is a little bit worrying, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think so too, you know. But the thing is, you know, with me and you, we've got a bit of a bond, we've got a thing, we seem to know yeah. each other, what each other's thinking and things. Yeah, so we, yeah. we do, we've been doing this all our lives, you know. But we know we're brothers. We're not twins or anything yeah. like that, you know. But do you want to hear about two twins who've also had an unc- uncanny life? Oh, yeah, likes to play. Yeah. This is the uncanny case of the gym twins. <laughs> two estranged twins who led identical lives. Wow. Right. So this is by Chris Littlechild, contributor for Ripley's, which is, you know, yeah, Ripley's Believe It or Not. Yeah. Good yeah. sight as well. Honestly, yeah. if you've got a tea break... Just make you get a chocolate biscuit, get yourself a mug of tea, and just go on to the Ripley's Believe It or Not because honestly, it's just pure joy. And <laughs> I love it. And I just want to say a big thank you to Ripley's. I think you've been a, you're a great website and a great book as well. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. The Jim Twins of Ohio were reunited at age 39 after being separated at birth. When they got to the talking, they found out they had lived identical lives. <laughs> <laughs> So, nature versus nurture debaters, what do you make of this one? When two twin boys were to put up for adoption in 1940, at only three weeks old, their adoptive parents coincidentally named them both James. Both men came to be named Jim for short, and that was just the start of it. The two would grow up only 40 miles apart from each other, and go on to live lives that were spookily similar. One of the boys was adopted by the Lewises of Lima, and the other by the Springers of Piqua. Both families knew that the child they adopted had a twin, but did not know what became of them. From there, though, their paths diverged. They unknowingly forged lives as identical as their DNA. Both had beloved childhood dogs named Toy. Such an unusual name. And as school children, both had a proclivity for maths and woodwork, but were no great shakes at spelling. If their childhoods were uncannily similar, though, then their adulthoods were truly remarkable. Both Jims had married twice. The first time, they both married a woman named Linda. Oh, God, that's weird, yeah. isn't it? When that didn't work out and they divorced, they met and went on to marry 
Women Named Betty. <laughs> How mad's that? Both Jim Lewis and Jim Springer had a son, and I'm sure you saw this coming. Both gave their boy the same name, James Allen. That first name and middle name, but obviously they called Jim anyway. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Both Jims were heavy smokers, drove the same car, a Chevrolet, and had similar jobs in security. Jim Lewis was a security guard while Jim Springer had been a deputy sheriff. They even took vacations at the same Florida beach. Neither man knew any of these impossible facts about their brother. However, until Lewis, aged 37, decided to try and get into contact with his twin. In 1977, he succeeded in finding contact details through an Ohio court. The pair spoke on the phone and eventually agreed to meet. On February the 9th, 1979, the Jim twins were finally reunited. When their fascinating case came to light, scientists saw how very valuable they could be to the study of reunited twins. So they took part in a study conducted by Dr. Thomas Bouchard of the University of Minnesota, who found out that their medical histories and brainwave tests were identical. God, that's weird. So too were the results in their personality test. The case of the brothers and others like them went on to influence theories about nature versus nurture and how science thinks about the effects of hereditary over environmental factors. Some have even considered the Jim Twins case as possible proof of telepathic connections between tw twins, and Jim Springer did state that he always felt an emptiness after all. Was it his brother who was subconsciously feeling? Feeling an emptiness? Oh, did it fulfil it when he met his bro? Well, he doesn't say, but yeah, I'm you wondering know he's, whether he look did, Look at yeah. smiley faces on that. Yeah, well, well, well Jim Twins, though. Well, managed you. Managed yeah, you. Yeah, can you imagine the camera? Your brother called Jim. Yeah, I had a dog called Tom. So did I. It's just like, what? It's weird, isn't it? Well, I found it weird as well. They went, they went on holiday to the same beach. <gasps> so can you imagine if you were walking to the beach and you just saw yourself coming in the other direction? Oh, mate. Or your wife. Your wife might be yeah. sort of like thinking, you know. And the weird thing is, she turns around and says, this together looks just like you. And his wife's, and, and probably the wife will probably look like her as well. You know, you know what I mean? Imagine that. Oh, just living parallel lives. It's so close 40 miles, he's no, is it? You know yeah, mean? this is it, you know. It's, it's, it's just oh, that's fascinating. Fascinating. The gym twins. But the thing is, you see, I mean, if, if the gym twins, I think they're they're uh, uh, quite a phenomenon. They're, you know, mm. they seem like a sound pair of guys, you know what I mean? But, you yeah. know, it's, and, and, and it does sound weird, but I, my opinion of it is biological, that. Yeah, I think yeah. it's biological. They've got the same genes. They've got the same way of thinking. I think they're just going on a similar path, aren't they? Yeah, you know, definitely. you know. But yeah. they're also the thing I like about the gym twins is they just—you seem like a pair of easygoing chaps. Yeah, you can, if it's like nature or nurture, you want to like get one in a cave, or like raising with dogs or something, <laughs> and then get other one like proper rich or something. You know, what I mean? they're not going to be the same then, are they? <laughs> Well, the thing is, maybe we could affect one of them with the uh, thermoliminal uh, like anthropizer. <laughs> Get that on him really quick and see what happens. Proper wolfie man. <laughs> well, that definitely is nature. Yeah. <laughs> but again, you see, we've covered a lot of cults and things like that, haven't we? Now, mm. I've come to the conclusion, right? What we need to do, you just need to need to set them free. We don't need a religion on the island. I yeah. think what you need to do now. Let's get that door open and let's oh, just declare to all yeah. the uh, puffins, right? What you need to do, I think, you, you know, your, your puffin army, all your puffin cult that you've started, right? I think it's time to let it go, our kid. 
Yeah, well, you're not even enjoyed being a guru, aren't you? But I like, am. Right. I'm getting getting into it right after three. I'm gonna right. open door. Well, I'll open door. <clears> and you, <throat> you you go you go talk talk to your people. Right. right. Don't look okay. smart. Don't look. No, you look fine. You're looking, yeah. looking really good. Not you know bad. what I mean? Head, it's right. massive. It's Me lovely. Yeah. Little, little tidy. Yeah. Little 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 let's do it. Right. When you're ready. Right. One, two. Go on. Hello. They've all gone, our kid. We're all fucking buffering them. Oh, what? Oh, <laughs> they're oh, hating me. They're oh, hating me. I think they've got windy, you kid. <laughs> uh, what a shitey messiah, I hope oh, Well, I think that's probably the best of it. You know, <laughs> yeah, true. Imagine the shites are going to do everywhere. Come on, Ireland. Well, tell you what, if you come inside now and have a cup of tea, never mind puffins, I'll get you a penguin. Hey. That'll go for it. <laughs> oh, perfect for the dicky dick. <laughs> so it just remains for us to say now it's big goodbye from Cracking Core from Matt and take it easy guys see you next time I won't see you but you can listen to me next time <laughs> <laughs> bye bye there are three ways you may contact Cracking Core either by email at Podcast at gmail.com on Twitter at Crackencove or Instagram at Crackencove Pod. Ha ha!